good to see you. We're glad that you're here. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1 as we continue. John chapter number 1, prophesied by the prophet Isaiah himself, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. I'm going to talk this morning as we come to verse 14 of John chapter number 1 about a subject that is often, we use the terms and we use the phrase, matter of fact, we often will hear this phrase, the incarnation or the incarnate Christ. And sometimes we use those words, and what do they really mean? I mean, what is the significance of those words? The incarnation, the incarnate Christ. Incarnate means in flesh. And so we're going to look at what all of that means for us. And let me kind of begin and preface verse 14 with this this morning. If the incarnation is not true, if the incarnation is not true, then Christianity is a hoax. If the incarnation is not true, then Christianity is a hoax. You see, the doctrine of the incarnation has been and still is very heavily debated and attacked. It's one of those attacked doctrines of the church. Let me tell you why. Because if the incarnation is false, then you and I might as well go home. Because there's no reason for us to be here. But we do know that the incarnation is true. We do know that the incarnation is correct, heavily debated. Matter of fact, there's many positions dealing with the incarnation today. There are some who believe that Jesus Christ did not actually become divine until he was on the cross. And at that moment in time when he died, then at that point in time, he then became divine. Why? Because he rose from the grave, okay? So at that moment in time on the cross... As he died, that transformation took place, and then Jesus Christ became divine. But let me say something to you this morning. He was born that way. It didn't come later because it was the way God determined that it would be. Matter of fact, that this one would be born of a virgin, one who never knew a man. Because the significance of it is this. It had to be a sinless The sacrifice that was going to be offered had to be sinless. And there was only one way that that could occur. And so we have the incarnation today that that we study, that we celebrate, which stands at the very foundation of Christianity and who he is. Matter of fact, John is very clear in his letters that he wrote that having a correct view of Jesus Christ, which is of vital importance, but... As divine and human is an essential mark of salvation. Because not only was Jesus Christ divine, but he was also human at the same time. And I know sometimes our minds just wonder how in the world that could ever be. Well, let me simply say to you this morning that it's called God. That's how it is. Just as the scripture tells us that nothing is impossible with God. God is the creator of all. He's sovereign. And so, therefore, providing a redemptive plan for mankind, the perfect sacrifice. Even John the Baptist, as he saw Jesus coming over the hillside, coming down to the Jordan River, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's who he is. There's only one way that that could have happened. 
And it's through the incarnate birth of Jesus Christ. Well, hold your place in John chapter 1. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 3. And you'll see where even, even John himself, and this is in John's letters. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 3. And I want you to notice what John wrote here for us. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Speaking of none other than Jesus Christ himself, but I want you to notice what he says. He said, was from the beginning, we've heard, we have seen with our eyes, we have looked and we have touched with our hands. What John is saying here, this is not some made up uh, concoction. This is not some made up story about who this one is. We have physically seen him. We have actually touched him. We have heard him. We have handled him. And who is he? The end of verse number one, the word of life. Verse two, and the life was manifested and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the father and was manifested or revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Well, look at chapter 2 of 1 John. Notice verse 22 and verse 24. Notice what John writes. He says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. And whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Well, flip over to chapter 4. Of 1 John and look at verse 1 through verse 3. Notice what John writes. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Notice what he says. Has come in the flesh. Is of who? Is from God. Verse 3, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. And look at verse 14 of 1 John chapter 4. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So John takes what he's written in the Gospel of John in the first chapter, and as you come to his letters, he expounds upon it in even greater detail. Jesus Christ, the incarnate Christ, the one sent from God, and there is only one way that you will ever have a relationship with the Father, and that's through his Son, Jesus Christ. Now let's go back to John chapter 1 and verse 14. And let me say this about John chapter 1 and verse 14. It is the most concise and significant verse in Scripture concerning the incarnation. When you look at John chapter 1 and look at verse 14, notice what John's right. And the Word became flesh. The Logos became flesh. 
and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John testified about him and cried out saying, this, is, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Jesus Christ, fully God. Jesus Christ, fully man as well. The first phrase of verse 14 expresses the truth that God took on humanity. Matter of fact, as we consider the, the magnitude of that, I don't, know, I don't know about you, okay, but I, this is one area that it just, you know, only God could have done this. Only, only God could have brought this to be. Only God could have brought this to us. And he did. God in the flesh. God dwelt among us through his son, Jesus Christ. There we become more appreciative of the words that we find in the book of Hebrews. Because he was tempted in all accounts just like we are. Yet without sin. There is nothing that Jesus Christ went through in his own life that he did not on our on our behalf because of the things that we experience in our life and now seated at the right hand of the Father is our high priest making intercession for us. That's who he is. That's the one that we place our trust and faith in. God in the flesh through his son Jesus Christ who we have today as our Savior. God became fully man yet he was fully God. You say, let me, give you another, let me give you another illustration. When Jesus was on the boat with the disciples and the storm came up, Jesus was asleep. They went and woke Jesus, concerned for their own lives, and say, you know, Lord, do you not care that we're, we're going to possibly perish here? And Jesus went to the back of the boat, and when he held up his hands, even the winds and the waves ceased and became absolutely still. They obeyed the very voice of Jesus Christ himself. Here he is standing in the back of that boat as man, but now as he speaks... He now, as the creator, commands even the waves and the winds to obey his very voice. That's who he is. That's who this one is that we serve. God became fully man, yet was fully God. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. I know some of us struggle with confessions, but you're going to find one here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Matter of fact, Paul writing to Timothy shares with us a common confession. And I want you to notice what it is. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. By common confession, 
Great is the mystery of godliness. And notice now as Paul says, as he writes, He who was revealed in the flesh was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory, the incarnate Christ. That's who he is. Let's go back to John chapter 1. You know, I don't think words could ever, could ever be spoken to bring to us the magnitude and the significance of verse 14 of John chapter number 1. But, let me say this this morning. Many refuse to accept the incarnation because they say it is so far beyond any human reasoning or comprehension. I don't know about you. Let me ask you, can anybody here this morning explain the incarnation in detail, physically? I don't think so. How could that have occurred? Mary, the child that was in her, was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. So that this one who was born of Mary would be sinless. Absolute perfection. Why? Because it had to be. The only and final sacrifice that was going to be made had to be sinless for you and I. Because the book of Hebrews said if that were not the case, if the blood of bulls and goats would have been able to have taken care of it, then Jesus Christ himself would not have had to have lived nor died. But The sacrificial order that was given through the law absolutely could not take care of what was necessary for a holy God to appease the wrath of God. There had to be one final sacrifice, and it had to be sinless in order to appease the wrath of God. And it came in Jesus Christ himself. So let me ask you a question. So just because something is sometimes beyond our human reasoning or comprehension, do we not believe it? Simply because that it is? I don't know about you. How many of y'all love to look up into some of the satellite returns coming from outer space? Any of y'all like to look at those? Ever you look beyond in all of the universe and the vastness of the universe and, and even now that they've identified a black hole wondering what formed it, how it's there, what's behind it, all of those things that make that up. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes I look at that stuff and it is beyond my comprehension. But does that mean just because it's beyond our reasoning or comprehension that we absolutely refuse to believe it? I don't think so. So why would we refuse to believe the incarnation? Watch this. But... Not only did God become flesh, he also dwelt among men for 33 years. Look at verse 14 again. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt among us. As man. Let me ask you a question. Did he get tired? He did. Did he get hungry? He did. Did he have emotion? He did. You say, Brother Robert, how do you know that he had emotion? How, how, how do you know that he had emotion? 
Well, matter of fact, let me share this with you. At the grave of Lazarus, Jesus wept at the grave of Lazarus. There was weeping. There was tears that were there. Matter of fact, that wasn't the only case. As he made his way from the Mount of Olives down through the Kidron Valley, headed into the city of Jerusalem, he stopped and he paused. And the scripture tells us that as he looked on the city of Jerusalem, he began to weep over the city of Jerusalem. And some people say, well, you know, when he was on the cross, he didn't, he didn't experience any pain because he was, he was God. My dear friend, let me say something to you this morning. Oh, yes, he did. He did. You say, how do you know that? Matter of fact, he uttered these words from the cross, I thirst. Fully God, yet fully man. Acquainted with all the griefs and difficulties and temptations like you and I are, yet without sin. That's who he is. And are you ready for this? And he went to that cross. He was born knowing that's where he was going. For what reason? Because of his love for you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. The incarnate Christ. That word dwelt in verse 14 is an interesting word. And here's what that word literally means. It means to take up residence or to live in a tent. There are those who claim that Jesus Christ himself did not physically, actually, really, truly, in human flesh and blood reside here on the face of the earth. Really? So what was he? They claimed that he was just a spirit. Jesus Christ's humanity was not just some mere appearance. It was God in the flesh. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter number 2. Philippians chapter 2 and verse... Number seven, Philippians chapter two, I'll tell you what, we'll just start in verse one so you get the whole context here. <clears throat> Philippians chapter two, beginning in verse one, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. And notice what he says. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a 
that's not enough, let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse number 9. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of of the congregation I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I am the children whom God has given me. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. Flesh and blood partook of the same. That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And might free those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are, what, tempted. That's who he is. He's the incarnate Christ. God in the flesh. Left the very portals of glory to come, to live on the face of this earth as a man. To experience all of the things that you and I experience. Why? Because God loves us so. A way of redemption had to be made. And it was not some afterthought with God. Jesus Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus Christ has always been. And he always will be. Revelation chapter 1, Jesus himself said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That's who he is. He's not just some mere man. He's not just some prophet. He's not just some good teacher that taught uh, ways of morality and those things. He is the very Son of God, God in the flesh. That's who he is. The truth that we find in the Scripture Jesus Christ was also full of grace and truth. When you look at the end of verse 14, let's go back to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 14. And we saw his glory. <clears throat> glory is of the only begotten from the Father. Full of what? Full of grace and truth. 
You see, what was partially revealed in the Old Testament was now fully revealed in Jesus Christ. Even the prophets themselves spoke of this one who would come. Matter of fact, in Sunday school this morning, we've been looking at Isaiah. We're in the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah chapter number 1. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. How is that going to happen? It was going to take place, not from the blood of bulls and goats, but there was only one who would be able to accomplish that, and it was Jesus Christ himself. Prophesied by the prophets, Peter stood in Acts chapter number 4, and as he spoke, he said, even the prophets themselves prophesied of the coming of this one, Jesus Christ. What was revealed in the Old Testament came to be in the New. You know, I've often wondered what it must have been like to have been one of the disciples to have been right there with Jesus during his earthly ministry. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you ever think about things like that. I mean, I, I, I would have loved to have been there when the blind man that had been blind from birth And Jesus, passing by, healed this blind man. And matter of fact, one of the things that was going to happen is the religious crowd was trying to figure out how in the world it happened and and whether or not the whole thing was a hoax and whether or not they were going to be excommunicated from the temple and all of those things. And finally, they, they, instead of questioning the parents anymore, they questioned the young man who was once blind all of his life and now he could see. And they asked him a question. How did this happen? Who did this to you? What brought this about? And the blind man answered in this way, the only thing that I can tell you is I once was lost or I once was blind, but now I can see. Jesus didn't leave him. He came back to see him. And the very one who touched your eyes and allowed you to be able to see was none other than Jesus Christ himself. Imagine being there, the disciples watching all of this as it occurred. Imagine being the disciples in the back of the boat when he went to the back of the boat and as Jesus held his hands up over the winds and the waves and he said, peace be still. And everything calmed completely. Imagine walking with him. Imagine listening to him. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter, I know some of y'all are probably thinking, Brother Robert, you sure are using a lot of scripture. Let me tell you something, it's not a, listen, it doesn't matter what my opinion is, what's important is what the scripture says. Colossians chapter number 2, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7. Colossians chapter 2, I'm sorry, verse 16 and verse 17. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and verse 17. Prophesied, partially revealed in the old, now fully revealed in Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians 2. Verse 16 and verse 17. 
Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to who? It belongs to Christ. Revealed in who? In Jesus Christ. Before a shadow of things to come. And then just go on to Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1 through verse 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 2. God in His infinite grace provided the greatest gift ever given to mankind. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, willingly set aside his power and his glory. Look at verse 1 and verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the what? The world. That's who he is, the incarnate Christ, the very Son of God. You see, Jesus Christ is God's last word, logos to mankind. Because you see, he is the climax. He is the very climax of divine revelation. That's who he is. He is the climax of that divine revelation. And apart from the word becoming flesh and the word living and dying in our place, I don't know if you understand the magnitude of this this morning, but here it is. There is no salvation. That is the magnitude of the incarnation. Apart from the Word becoming flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John says we've seen Him. We've handled it. We've heard it. I don't know how much more evidence you need as to who He is. But apart from the Word becoming flesh... And the word living and dying in our place, there is no salvation. The incarnate Christ. My question to you today, do you know him personally? See, God made a way that we could know him personally through his son, Jesus Christ. My question today is, do you know him personally? Let's bow our heads as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the word. Father, we thank you for the incarnate Christ. And Father, we thank you that because of that, 
there was a sinless sacrifice once and for all, never to be accomplished again. To appease your wrath and your judgment. Fathers, we consider the magnitude of that sacrifice that had to be in order that we might be able to spend all of eternity with you. Father, I pray that that we would just stand in awe and reverence to who you are the sovereign majesty, the almighty God that we serve. And Father, as we consider the magnitude of your love and grace for us who do not deserve it, But Father, because you loved us so, you sent your Son, Emmanuel, God with us. And so, Father, I pray this morning that all of us would respond and answer the question in our own hearts. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit this morning bring about conviction in our hearts based on the very word itself that we would understand and realize and see what a needy and desperate people we are. And Father, I pray for the one that may be here this morning realizing that they're a sinner before a holy God and The only answer to solve the issue is Jesus Christ himself. That they may place their trust and faith in him today. And Father, whatever, whatever other working you may be accomplishing in the hearts of those who are here, may we be obedient to what you've laid on our hearts. Father, this invitation time we place into your hands this morning. Father, and pray for nothing more than your perfect will to be done. May your word accomplish what you intend for it to. We'll be careful to thank and praise you in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand together with me. Brother Red's going to come lead us. Just as I am without one plea. Only, only, only Jesus can take care of what's so desperately needed in our hearts and lives today. As Brother Red comes and leads us as we sing together, won't you be obedient to him? Just.